Good morning. Greetings to each of you. In the precious name of the Lord Jesus, again today. Appreciate uh, things that have been shared so far. I'm back in the book of Job today. I guess that's where I've been the last number of messages. Thanks to some comments that uh, encourage me to go further in Job. I think this is the last one. Last message from Job here, but I'm not sure. That may be subject to change. Um <clears throat> But I have enjoyed looking more closely in the book of Job and the happenings that happened there and pondering them, thinking about them, and what we can learn in our own lives. If you're able, stand with me and we will pray. Our Father and our God, we quiet our hearts before you again in the name of the Lord Jesus. our, Our expectation is in you. We look to you this morning again. We are gathered here. Small, small group of your people. We are blessed with peace in our country and in the environment we're living We know there are many in other parts of the world who are not, and this morning we do think about our friends and brothers and sisters in Ukraine and the difficulties that they have faced and continue to face, and ask again, Father, that you would look upon the matter with mercy and compassion, care for your people in this uh, perilous time. Bless and keep those who love you. Show yourself strong in their behalf. And even those who do not fear you and may even be defiant against you, we pray that in your great compassion you would also open their eyes to understand their smallness and their need of a Savior and their need of you. Father, we we just pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done in this old world, in this life, in our lives, in this service, Lord, even as it is done in heaven. Bless us, bless the uh, teaching of your word. Again, give clarity of thought and wisdom to express those thoughts. Father, you understand each of us here this morning. You understand everything about us. You understand the personal battles that we may have faced and may even be facing at the moment. Nothing is hidden from you. 
And that is a comfort, Lord, because we know that you care for us. I pray a blessing on each one here today. Somehow, by your Spirit, through your Word, may, may there be something of truth that ministers to each heart. Also bless, bless those who are, are not here, and perhaps even those who had a desire to be here and are not able. May your spirit and grace and comfort and strength be extended to them as well. <clears throat> and so, Father, we do commit this time to you and pray with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> All right, so today you can turn to Job chapter 32. A lot of our focus is going to be on the man, Elihu. Um, he shows up or he uh, makes himself known in chapter 32. As best as I understand, we don't see anything of him prior to that in the book, but he apparently is there. We're told in the beginning of the book that, or in the early part of the book, that three of Job's friends came to visit him when he was suffering these great afflictions. And uh, we don't, uh, nothing is stated about a fourth individual, but when we get to chapter 32, we we learn of another individual on the scene. Uh, his name is Elihu. <clears throat> so, maybe just, uh, I'm not exactly sure how I might do it, but just to give a little bit of illustration to uh, what's you know, we, and I'll just use a couple of, of, uh, squares to represent events. We're familiar, um, most of us I trust are familiar with the early part of, of the book of Job where there were those two events in Job's life. The one being when, when uh, Satan was given the freedom to touch everything in Job's world except Job himself. Um, and then the second event was when Satan was given the freedom to actually afflict Job's physical health, but he was not allowed to take his life. Uh, so there are those two events. And... Uh, of course, we're familiar that after, uh, during that second event when Job was suffering greatly in the flesh, had boils all over and was really, really suffering, we have these, um, what the scripture calls Job's three friends coming to him and, uh, sitting with him. Uh, if I'm remembering correctly, they sat almost speechless for a week, I believe. 
is they observe Job's condition, and then we have 20-some chapters of dialogue between Job's three friends, these three individuals and Job. <clears throat> and then uh, when we get to when we get to chapter 32 is where this dialogue uh, ends. And then we have uh, we have this this uh, man Elihu showing up, uh, voicing himself, making himself known. Maybe just to. Um, just to give a quick rundown of, well, let's, let me read a couple verses here, or just verse, uh, verse one of chapter 32 says, uh, so these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Yeah, let me read a couple more verses. Uh, then, then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzzite, of the kindred of Ram against Job was his wrath kindled because he justified himself rather than God. Also against his three friends was his wrath kindled because he found, because they found no answer and yet had condemned Job. <clears throat> so this Elihu, well, let me say this first. So these three men after these uh, number of chapters of uh, of uh, dialogue that we have, Job and them back and forth, back and forth, uh, these three men kind of got to the end of their uh, efforts to convince Job that uh, he's a he, he's a uh, they they uh, they. Uh, they were trying to convince Job that what Job was experiencing currently was a result of his own sin. Uh, we can, uh, we might look at some of that a little later. I don't remember what I all have there in my notes, but uh, we had looked at that in an earlier message. Um, they really, finally, toward the end, they really leveled in. One of them, especially, really leveled in hard on Job and and simply declared all the things that he had done. Uh, that were uh, bad, and uh, that was the reason this thing had this this calamity had come upon him. It was their opinion? It was their perspective. <clears throat> and Elihu is sitting there uh, listening to all that dialogue, and uh, I guess as he is sitting there, his he's evaluating and he's considering and he's pondering and his heart is stirring in him. And he's holding himself back, and eventually he begins to speak. And this is where we're at here now. In that dialogue, just to finish that off of just a little bit, in that dialogue with the three friends, they tried to convince Job that it was because of sin in his life, and Job, in turn, uh, justified himself. Uh, which is what Elihu says here, that he justified himself rather than God. We'll try to look at that a little later as well. 
Anyhow, Elihu, um, maybe we'll read down through here and just uh, look at uh, what Elihu uh, begins here, beginning, picking up here again. Verse 4, now Elihu had waited until Job had spoken because they were elder than he. When Elihu saw there was no, there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, then his wrath was kindled. And Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzzite, answered and said, I am young, and ye are very old. Wherefore, I was afraid, and durst not show you my opinion. I said, Days should speak, and multitude of years should teach wisdom. But there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth him under, giveth them understanding. Great men are not always wise, neither do the aged understand judgment. Therefore I said, hearken to me, I also will show mine opinion. Behold, I waited for you. I waited for your words. I gave ear to your reasons, whilst ye searched out what to say. Yea, I attended unto you, and behold, there was none of you that convinced Job, or that answered his words, lest ye should say, We have found out wisdom, God thrusteth him down, not man. So that's uh, that's Elihu's initial uh, initial response. uh, His initial uh, approach. And so today I'd like to... uh, there's several uh, ways we could look at the, the message we, or the title. We could look at it as uh, uh, a lessons from the life of Elihu. Uh, I've also considered it as uh, admonitions from Elihu. Um, perhaps lessons from the life of Elihu would fit us better, but there's definitely things that we can learn from Elihu here in this uh, scripture, and we'd like to look at a few of those this morning. So the first thing I'd like to point out, um, and we've already alluded to it, this scripture speaks of it, and that uh, that is that Elihu, uh, he respected the older men. Um, the uh, uh, scripture is very clear on that. He said, uh, I'm a young man, and ye are very old. Um, I was afraid, I durst not show mine opinion. I said days should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. You know, that is a, that is a principle. That is a principle with God. Uh, Leviticus 19.32, thou shalt rise up before the hoary head and honor the face of the old man and fear thy God. I am the Lord. Uh, Proverbs 16.31 says the hoary head is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. Now we realize, I think we realize that there are, uh, you know, it uh, speaks of the hoary head rising up before the hoary head. That's speaking of respect, uh, honoring the older uh, people in your life. Uh, I think we understand well the fact that, uh, you know, not every hoary head is found in the way of righteousness. 
but that doesn't necessarily negate people honoring those who are older than them. Um, you know, we have uh, we have a lot of uh, uh, people in governments or people that we are under. We're under authority, and those people don't. Many of those people don't necessarily honor God, don't honor God's ways, but we know that we are asked to honor them. Uh, you know, there are parents who, or there are children whose parents are perhaps not found in the way of, of righteousness, and yet uh, there is something in honoring uh, the, their, the older uh, folks that contains a blessing, and there is something in dishonoring that revokes a blessing. Uh, I have a think of a friend of mine, and our ways have parted a bit in more recent years since I'm not in uh, uh, livestock farming. But his father, he grew up in a Mennonite church, and his father was a drunkard. And I've never heard him speak disrespectfully of his father. There's something to that. Um, there's something of a blessing there. Sure, life was hard. Life was difficult. Very difficult, in fact. And the mother held the family together and actually did a, an amazing job of it. Uh, but I never heard uh, this uh, gentleman speak ill of his father. And that's, I believe, what it means to honor. Uh, Elihu respected the old man, the older men. He, he gave place to them. He understood the principle. And he lived by it. And that's a blessing. That is, uh, that's a, that's a point of Elihu that, uh, <clears throat> is, uh, is, is, it's, it's notable. Something we can learn from. Uh, we don't find him interrupting. Uh, obviously, there was things that were growing in his heart, but uh, he waited until the others were completely talked out. And they were done. And then he began to speak. Um, yeah. Honoring is a, is it's a valuable thing. I I I'm, I'm thinking of an of a, a, a situation in my own life years ago. I know I've said it a number of times, and I maybe I'll wear it out if I say it again. But I I guess it's worth repeating. I way back in the mid '90s uh, when we uh, chose to change to leave our congregation where we were born and raised in. My parents were had, you know, that was difficult for them. And uh, and then further down the road, we uh, we made some changes. Obviously, not very many. But one of the changes I wanted to make was I wanted to grow a beard. But I knew that my parents just had some really strong feelings about beards. And so I chose to talk to. My mother, I believe it was, about it before I actually did it. And 
in that conversation, uh, my mother made her appeals not to, and I made my defenses on why her opinions really didn't weren't scriptural. And I dishonored my mother. There was no question about it. And I grew a beard anyhow. And that was really devastating to them. And it was some time later that God was working in my heart and I took my beard off and I went and I apologized for my disrespect and my dishonor to my parents. Sometime later, I was able to grow a beard and grow it with in a much uh, more respectful way to them. But one other thing, what 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 really made a difference uh, in that, uh, let me say this, that relationship with my parents basically went to what I call ground zero at that time. It went to nothing. And while that apology was helpful and uh Little by little, it, it, I think it was starting to repair. But what really, really turned the tide in that relationship was, and I, this probably was, I don't know if it was a, a period of a year where these events happened. But my life was full. My life was busy. Uh, I was farming. And uh, we were at charity at that time. And the charity ministry were um, feeling very overloaded, but were not at a place where they felt like they could have ordination. And so they called out three younger brothers to work with them, help take the load off of them a bit, and then also to disciple us. Um I was one of those brothers they called out and uh, gave some responsibility. And that uh, sometimes we'd just be their hands and feet and go do things they didn't get to. But it also required occasionally uh, preaching. Uh, anyhow, my life was full. And I'm not even totally sure, well, I shouldn't say I'm not sure what motivated me. I think it was the Spirit of God. Um, My dad had sold me the farm and uh, the the added responsibilities. uh, Life was very full. I don't know that I had a hired man at that point yet. Anyhow, I decided, I decided to, to go to my dad and just kind of put the cards on the table and just say, you know, this is where I'm at. This is, uh, I'm, I've got a, a hog operation here. I've got a crop farm. I've got cattle. It's a lot. The ministry at charity has asked me, given me assignment to 
help fill in the work for them, help uh, carry the load, and these different things. And I just, just I went to my to their to to my dad's house, sat down at the table with him and mother, and just just had this conversation, just talked to him, just just laid it out, and I said, I said, Dad, I'm concerned. That if I'm not careful, I won't, I'll have so many things going that I don't do anything right, uh, properly. I said, do you have any advice for me? He was quiet for a bit. And he, then he says to me, he says, you know, the mother and I, don't feel a person should preach unless they're ordained. I said, I understand. I understand. I said, we, we do look at that a little differently. And we continued the discussion. And I, I don't know, I, I don't recall what all this discussion consisted of, but I didn't, I don't think I actually left with any answers. I'm not sure I even went for answers. Um, but I went, I went, uh, I left, went home back to my farm. <clears throat> and it was just a couple of days later. I'm not sure if it was the very next evening, if it was two days later or what. But I'm out in the barn feeding the cattle, and I see the, it was evening and it was dark, and I see the headlights of a vehicle coming in the drive. And my dad comes walking into the barn, looks over the cattle, and now you have to understand, dad hadn't done that in a long time. It's the farm where he used to work with me and the, the barn where he used to feed the cattle. But he hadn't done that in a while because of the broken relationship. He came into the barn, made a few comments about the cattle. I saw he was holding a magazine. Then he, after I was finished with what I was doing, we... I, kind of gave him my attention. We talked a bit. And he opens the catalog. He says, uh, I'd like to buy a generator for my house. Starts showing me several of them. He says, which one do you think I should get? I don't know if that means anything to you or not, but that was amazing to me. And I realized that when I did my part in respecting my father, it had amazing, amazing effects. This is something Elihu understood, and this is the approach that he took. He waited. He gave respect. He gave deference to the older gentleman. But then he also spoke, and uh, you know we have several chapters of what he spoke, and we will look at some of that. 
And I, I just like to say to you, young men here, younger men, you know, this principle of respecting the elderly, uh, the older is actually a very, very, uh, serious principle. Um, we can, we can choose to defy it, but you likely won't really have a blessing on your life if you do. You likely won't. But then there is a time to speak. It doesn't mean that as, as because you're younger, it doesn't mean that your words don't matter. It doesn't mean that you don't have any wisdom. It doesn't mean that you don't have anything to share. <clears throat> Notice Job 32 verse 8. But there is a spirit in man and the inspiration of, of the Almighty giveth them understanding. That's not just the old men that the Spirit of God is in. The, old, the young men have the Spirit of God as well. Like we heard this morning about wisdom, we recognize that wisdom is sometimes lacking, but the Spirit of God doesn't need to be lacking in your life. And there is a time to speak. There's a time when your words may be the words that answer to the situation. And that was actually the case with Elihu. His words answered to the situation. We'll, we'll look at that. So, that's one thing we can learn from Elihu. There is a principle of respect toward those who are older. And there is also a time to speak as the Spirit of God gives wisdom and input, insight. So, remember those two. Secondly, uh, one of the things that I that we can learn from Elihu is that Elihu didn't assume. Uh, what, is, what does the word assume mean? It simply means to suppose to be the case without proof. Uh, these other three men that we talked about, they, they assumed. There's no question about it. They, they came to the conclusion and they made the assumption that what Job was experiencing was a result of sin in his life. And they, they did their best to convince him of that. But Elihu didn't do that. Elihu did not assume that Job had sin in his life and that that was the reason that this happened. Um, he, he, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, it's about, I believe it's seven chapters or so that Elihu speaks and it's, uh, there's, there's occasion where he hedges on kind of questioning whether, uh, uh, yeah. Why, why this all happened, I believe, but he does not assume like the uh, uh, other gentlemen did. And I, well, let me just uh, uh, when we think about these these three men, here here's some of the words of Eliphaz uh, and some of the assumptions he made. He said in Job twenty two five. Eliphaz is speaking and he says, Is not thy wickedness great and thine iniquities infinite? 
Thou, for thou hast taken a pledge from thy brother for naught and stripped the naked of their clothing. Thou hast not given water to the weary to drink. Thou hast withholden bread from the hungry. But as for a mighty man, he that he hath the earth and honorable men dwell in it. Thou hast sent away widows. Thou hast sent widows away empty and the arms of the fatherless have been broken. Therefore, snares are round about thee and sudden fear troubleth thee. So those were Eliphaz's words to Job. Um, and we looked at them in a previous message. Just finally and got down to it and Job wasn't hearing what Eliphaz wanted him to hear and he, he put the, he put the plow down and this is you is what he's saying. This is what you've done. Quite an assumption. <clears throat> Elihu didn't do that, and that is something that I think we can all learn from. You know, we, we, just think about it. Just let your mind think just a little bit. How many relationships do you suppose have been broken or destroyed because someone assumed something? You know, probably many in our world. Someone assumed something. And responded on those assumptions and, and, uh, much damage was, is the result often. You know, assuming used to be a fairly healthy component in my life. But my wife, I have a, uh, my wife, wife's supposed to do you good and not evil, right? My wife would question my assumptions, and I learned not to assume. She was a help to me in that. Doesn't, not going to say I don't ever do it or I'm not tempted to do it or start to do it and then back up in my mind, but uh, assuming is, is something can be so easy. We just decide we have it figured out. This must be what it what the case is and we start acting accordingly and and it just uh, creates problems so Elihu did not assume as to why Job was experiencing these de- great difficulties and this shows us some of Elihu's character which is commendable commendable character that he is All right, the next point I'd like to think about is that Elihu responds to the things that he knows. So in Job chapter 33, um, as Elihu continues his discussion with uh, Job and these three men, in chapter 33, you can turn to verse 8, Elihu says, Surely, Thou hast spoken in mine hearing, and I have heard the voice of thy words, saying, and here he quotes Job, I am clean without transgression, I am innocent, neither is there iniquity in me. Behold, he findeth occasion against, occasions against me, he counteth me for his enemies. I believe he's referring to God there. Uh, uh, he's quoting Job, and I believe uh, what Job was uh, referring to as God. 
He putteth my feet in stocks. He marketh all my paths. End of quote. That's the end of quoting Job. Now, notice what Elihu says as he responds to these quotes that he's just given of Job's. Behold, in this thou art not just. I will answer thee that God is greater than man. Uh, the <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> so the, the Job here, or, or uh, yeah, Job. Elihu is responding to the things that he has heard Job say. Uh, he is not responding to some assumptions that he made as to why this whole thing happened. He's just responding to the on-the-ground situation as it has unfolded before his eyes. And that's what uh, Elihu is responding to. And he's, he's, he's challenging Job. Some things aren't, uh, aren't right here. <clears throat> if we go over to uh, chapter 34, verse 5, uh, he says, For Job hath said, I am righteous, and God taketh away my judgment. Uh, there he's quoting Job again. And then verse 9, For he hath said, It profiteth a man nothing that he should delight himself in God. And there he's, he's quoting Job. He's quoting what Job said, what he heard him say, and then he responds to it. And for right now, we're just, we're not really looking at the responses. We're just looking at what Elihu is basing his responses on. He's basing his responses on things that he's heard Job say in the, in the, in these last, uh, discourses. Um, not making any assumptions beyond that. In, uh, chapter 34, verse uh, no, we had that. Chapter 35. Chapter 35, verse 1 to 3. Elihu spake moreover and said, Thinkest thou this to be right, that thou saidst, My righteousness is more than God's. For thou saidst, What advantage will it be unto thee, and what profit shall I have if I be cleansed from my sin? And I'm not exactly sure if I uh, understand what is meant, what Job is meaning by the things he says, but Elihu seems to be understanding it. And Elihu is saying that uh, Job, in what he has said, is saying that he is he's the implying that he's more righteous than God. Uh, and that's what he meant when he said Job justified himself back there in the beginning of when Elihu first uh, begins. He had a problem with the fact that Job justified himself. And so Elihu is responding to the things that he has uh, uh, heard Job say. In fact, Elihu is responding not to what might have been the cause of Job's calamity, but he's responding to Job's response in the calamity. Now, I don't know about you, 
You know, we, we, we recognize that Job said some really strong things in the middle of that discussion with those three men. In the middle of that calamity, he, you know, to say that, uh, It profiteth a man nothing that he should delight himself in God. That's, that's some, that's almost denouncing God, isn't it? It's, that's some strong words. Um, but why did Job say those words? Was it because his friends provoked him to say them? Would Job have said those words, all those words that he said, if those three friends wouldn't have been there pushing at him? You're the man. You're the, man, you're the sinner. It's your fault. And Job defends himself. So if, if in fact, if Job would have been left to himself and he wouldn't have said them, then who's responsible that they got said? Who did Job say was responsible that they got said at the end? We might get there. Think through that. So Elihu is uh, responding to the things that he's heard Job say. The next point I'd like to think about is that Elihu spoke the mind of God. Um, And Elihu actually made that uh, uh, declaration himself. And it's if you follow it through the whole way to the end, you have to be well, you, you, you have to be convinced that he did. Um, I was trying to see if I could find where Elihu said, I, I'm, in, I'm in God's stead to you, something like that. Is. Anyhow, um, okay, so Elihu spoke the mind of God. Uh, we notice in chapter, in Job 34, Verse 35, Elihu says, Job hath, in, in, in 34 verse 35, Elihu says, Job hath spoken without knowledge and his words were without wisdom. That's what Elihu's conclusion is of, uh, of Job and how Job responded. In the, in the intensity of what he was suffering and may I say under the pressure of responding to his, the accusations of his friends. <clears throat> and then Elihu says, Job has spoken without knowledge and his words were without wisdom. If you go to 35, chapter 35 verse 16, therefore doth Job open his mouth in vain he multiplieth words without knowledge. That's, that's Elihu is saying this about Job. Now I said Job spoke the mind of God. Let's just jump ahead in the book to 
chapter 38. That's where the Lord begins to speak. Elihu's finished and the Lord begins to speak. It's like God picks up where Elihu left off. And notice what God says in the very first uh, two verses. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? God actually picks up exactly what what Elihu had said. And, okay, Job, who is this that speaks this way? Elihu had said in, in, in back in chapter 33, I don't think I read that verse 33, 13. Elihu said to Job as he's responding to some of the things Job had said, he says, why dost thou strive against him? It's one of the words, uh, one of the things that Elihu raises the question to Job. And in Job ch- chapter 40, In Job chapter 40, verse 1 and 2, Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. There God is picking up also on this thing of, uh, Why dost thou strive against him? Why dost thou strive against God? And God picks up on it and says, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? Uh, same idea. <clears throat> in, uh, in verse 8, God is speaking to Job, Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me, that thou mayest be righteous? Again, God is picking up on the things that Elihu had already uh, spoken. And so Elihu spoke the mind of God so much so that God could could just pick up right there and keep on going with the situation. And I think it would it's only uh, fair and wise to uh, uh, finish out with Job's response to this. Uh, Job responded a little bit in verse 40. He says, behold, then Job answered verse uh, chapter chapter 40, verse three. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer ye twice, but I will proceed no further. And then God continues uh, the discourse with Job for a bit till we get to chapter 42. And then Job responds again. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, 
and that no man, that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Now Job is quoting his own words, and then he responds. Therefore have I uttered that I understood not, things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Then he quotes himself again. Here I, here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. Uh, those are the words that uh, uh, Job was, was uh, challenged with, and he's responding to them. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. <clears throat> So Elihu, uh, Elihu, uh, God, he was used in this situation, I believe. Um, and God came right along on the heels of what Elihu said and worked in Job's heart even further. In the end, what do we hear from Job? I repent in sackcloth and ashes. You know, that's an amazing, amazing account of Scripture, an amazing insight into the, the spiritual realm of things that we we don't see in everyday life. Or, yeah, we don't see it in the situations that we're in. But be assured that same kind of uh, of that's uh, uh, a word. That same kind of uh, thing is happening. In our lives, many times, you know, um, God is there. God was here in our own lives. God is there. You know, we, we, whether we're Job, whether we're his three friends, whether we're Elihu, um, and I don't know which one we'd like to be. Sometimes we don't have a choice. Job didn't have a choice to be the, the player of that he was called to play. Uh, but God is there. And uh, things that happen don't just happen. Uh, it's not just water gone over the dam and we can go on with life and forget it. God calls us to account for the things we do and the things we say and how we say them and all those kind of things as he did here. Um, so Elihu was was uh, Elihu spoke the mind of God. The next point I'd like to think about is that Elihu turned the focus toward the faithfulness of God. Uh, and we see that in quite a number of verses. Again, just kind of skimming back over a few. Chapter 33, verse 12 to 14. And we had looked at this a little bit. But uh, Elihu is responding to some of the things Job had said. And he says this, Behold, in this thou art not just, I will answer thee that God is greater than man. So Elihu simply sets... Uh, declares the truth. God is greater than man, and that's settled. <laughs> God is greater than man. 
why dost thou strive against him? Uh, for he giveth not account of his matter of uh, to any. He giveth not account of any of his matters. Uh, that's God. He's kind of lifting up God to his rightful place and and calling Job to uh, lift up, uh, put God back in his place of greatness, much greater than humanity, and does not have to give an account for why he allowed this or that to happen in someone's life. For God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man perceiveth him not. <clears throat> lifting lifting God up in God's greatness. He turns the focus on God. In chapter 34, verse 10, Therefore hearken unto me, ye men of understanding, Far be it from God that he should do wickedness, and from the Almighty that he should commit iniquity. Um, yeah, for the work of man shall he render unto him, and every cause and cause every man to find according to his ways. Yea, surely God will not do wickedly; neither will the Almighty pervert judgment. He's lifting up God. He turns the focus to God. And the greatness of God. Chapter 36, verse 5 and 6. Behold, God is almighty. God is mighty and despiseth not any. He is mighty in strength and wisdom. He preserveth not the life of the wicked, but giveth right to the poor. He withdraweth not his eyes from the righteous, but with kings are they on the throne. Yea, he doth establish them forever, and they are exalted. Um, just in statements about God's greatness, God's faithfulness, uh, the real, the real uh, uh, depth of of that is actually the whole chapter of chapter thirty-seven. Um, that whole chapter, he just speaks of the greatness of God. Uh, how he, uh, verse three, he he direct uh, well. Verse 2, hear attentively the noise of his voice and the sound that goeth out of his mouth. He directeth it under the, the whole heaven and his lightning unto the ends of the earth. After it a voice roareth, he thundereth with the voice of his excellency. He will not stay them when his voice is heard. God thundereth marvelously with his voice. Great things doeth he, we which we cannot comprehend. For he saith to the snow, Be thou on the earth, likewise to the small rain, and to the great rain of his strength. He sealeth up the hand of every man, and that all men may know his work. Just declaring the greatness of God. Um, Verse 18, Hast thou with him spread out the sky, which is strong, and as a molten looking glass? verse 23 touching the almighty we cannot find him out he is excellent in power and in judgment and in plenty of and in plenty of justice he will not afflict men do therefore fear him he respecteth not any that are wise of heart uh yeah elihu just he turns the focus on god and uh 
and in challenging, in in uh, repro- uh, yeah, reproving Job, in bringing challenge to where what how Job was responding to the situation, he turns his focus back on God, lifts up his eyes to uh, the greatness of God. Uh, that's a, that's a, that is that is something to to tuck away in our hearts. You know, God is actually the answer to everything. <laughs> You know, that's really simplified. But God is the answer to everything. The answer to everything is found in God. Uh, it, there's just no exceptions. And I realize there's things have to be worked out. There's conversations have to be had. There's understandings that need to be arrived to. I know all those things. But God is the answer to everything. God is the one who can... Uh, work where we can't work. God is the one who can touch hearts that we can't touch. God is the one who can change circumstances we can't change if he so wishes. God is it. And if there's any hope, it's got to be in God. Um, and Elihu turns the focus to God. And in conclusion, <clears throat> what can we learn from Elihu and Job? We're probably just uh, repeating a few things here a little bit. First of all, desire to walk closely with God, that when we speak, we speak the mind and will of God. That's a desirable thing, I would say, for any of us. Elihu was walking closely enough with God that in this situation... He was able to speak the mind and will of God. And uh, and it was used of God. So that's one of the things that we can learn from Elihu. And yeah, may we, may we search for that. May we seek to do that. To walk with God. That when we speak. And we speak into situations that come up in our lives. That. We would speak the mind and will of God. Second thing we can learn is is that there is wisdom in not assuming on things we don't know. Uh, Elihu didn't, and his his dialogue was much more effective than all the chapters that the three other previous men had had dialogued. So there's wisdom in not assuming on things that we don't know. <clears throat> Thirdly, uh, we are accountable for things we say, even in difficult times, or when others provoke us to say them, as it was with Job and his three friends. We've never, we never found Job giving any um, excuse for what he said when, when he under. When God, uh, Elihu reckoned with him and, and God followed up on it and Job just, he faced it, he owned it, he uh, repented. And that is, that is the pathway to freedom. Um, just, there's just no freedom in, in blame shifting and well, I did it because so and so did this to me and, and if he wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have done this. And there's just no, future in that. There's no success in it, uh, no freedom in it. When we face our situations, face our responsibility, 
like Job did, we can find freedom and we can go on with God. Fourth thing we can learn, there's always something to be learned. Job learned in this situation. He, had, he acknowledges that. I didn't read those exact words this morning. We had it another time. But Job learned. I'm going to suspect that Job's three friends learned in this situation. Uh, you know, they God actually reproved them. Um, and uh, ask them to go to Job and have Job pray for them so that they would, I guess, be forgiven. I'm not sure what the all was entailed there, but uh, that was something God asked of them because they hadn't spoken his mind like uh, Elihu did. So we can... Uh, we can learn that uh, there's always there's more to learn, and and it's it's always good to ask the question when as life unfolds. Okay, God, what should I be learning here? What should I be learning in this situation? You know, God God has God has things for us. You know, you can have a situation that involves six parties, and. Uh, we could decide that, well, responsibility for this situation rests on one party. Okay, you know, God, in his economy of things, he's got his eyes on everyone. There's something for everyone to learn in the situation. That's just the way God works. There's not wasted time with God. Elijah, Job, Job, remember Job, the man who God declared to be the most righteous man on the earth. And yet at the end of it, he says, I have learned something. If, if, if Job had room to learn, how much more do you and I have room to learn from situations that come up in life? <clears throat> so there's always, and open our, let's open our hearts to that, to learn what, uh, what God is wanting to teach us, what God is wanting to do in our hearts through this particular situation. That we might be in at the moment. Fifth thing, when we miss, uh, that we can learn from uh, Elihu and Job, when we miss the mark, repentance is always the right response. Job, when he understood his, his, uh, how he had missed the mark, he repented. And it's always the right response. Number six, what can we learn from Elihu and Job? Um, forgive and bless those who opposed you or wronged you. This we learn from, from God, actually. Um, in, I mentioned there in Job 42 that, uh, God t- told God told uh, the f- three friends that uh, Job that they should offer some bullocks and have uh, Job pray for them, and that that happened. And uh, so there's some interesting things going on there. So um, these three men who had withstood Job all along, 
and were in contention with him. So now God tells them to offer uh, seven bullocks and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering and my servant Job shall pray for you. Um, and then the, the Lord, verse 10 says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. God is interesting. So these, these, these men were in a, they were kind of in a, in a, uh, what's the word? Uh, they, they were, they were at each other through those numerous chapters there. They, these, these men are telling Job that he's wrong and Job is justifying himself and they're telling him he's wrong and they, Job justifies himself. And in the end of this whole episode, God brings these men together again. And he asks these men who didn't speak the mind of God to offer and repent of their wrongdoing. And he t- gets Job to be the one to pray for him. And I think that was, that was probably, uh, uh, you know, Job was asked to bless these men who had opposed him the whole way through this situation and had been in contention with him. And God is saying, okay, you you pray for these men. You wish them well. You pray a blessing on them. You And Job did. Job did bless those men. God is interesting, isn't he? Uh, forgive and bless those who oppose you or wronged you. I believe that's a principle in the scripture, too, if we want to prosper. It's interesting that it notes after that, that in the same verse, that God turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. That's significant. It's, it's, there was something happening there. God had, God was doing what God was doing, <laughs> what God does. He works in people's lives. And this was part of the working that he was working. And the Lord turned the captivity. I believe there is a correlation between that, uh, the captivity being turned when he prayed for his friends. So those are just some things we can learn from Job and, and Elihu. Uh, I am sure there's more, but that is what I have for us today. And may God bless and strengthen you and me with those uh, examples from the scripture. If you are able, kneel with me and we will close with prayer. Our Father and our God, again, we quiet our hearts before you. And we say thank you. Thank you, Father, for uh, this example in Scripture, for allowing it to be recorded allowing it to be preserved down to us even today and allowing us to have opportunity to to consider truth and uh, and how it applies to us in our lives. Thank you, Lord. Thank you again for each one present here and ask again a blessing on each one. Thank you also, Father, for the many places across the world where people meet in Jesus' name. And the word of God is taught and has been taught. 
We pray that there would be yet a harvest of souls in this our day. That there would be yet a turning to Christ. A surrendering to Christ. A surrendering to the Lordship of Christ. And a kingdom and a church built in preparation for the coming of the great wedding feast. Lord, thank you. Thank you again. Bless and keep us in your care. Grant us courage and strength to continue in our uh, walk with you, to be faithful to you, to strive to walk in obedience to you, to your Lordship, and to uh, strive to bless our generation with your gospel of peace. Lord, help us in that. So, Father, again, we just are so grateful for your care for us, for this congregation, for each one present. Continue to cause your face to shine upon us and bless us. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.